Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. And while you do, I wanted to mention a, a couple of things. One, uh, about uh, D-night tonight, we want you to come as you are. Now, if, if there are some exceptions. If you take a nap in your pajamas on Sunday afternoon or something, you know, you use your common sense in that. But uh, uh, we're, we're saying that this is going to be different. It's going to be an informal time, and so uh, we're looking forward to that family time together. Also, following the service today, as we do when we have communion, uh, you'll have an opportunity for uh, responding out of gratitude to God for who He is and what He has done. Uh, As you leave, there'll be uh, an opportunity to give an offering, and that uh, goes toward uh, those within our church and outside of our church who have uh, various needs. So... um, just wanted to remind you that that's the case. Now, we, uh, we had a, a wonderful anthem today with, that ended with this, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. What in the world is that calling us to? And then... We just sang about the cross. Beneath the cross of Jesus, the path before the crown. Something goes on before we receive the crown. We follow in his footsteps. We're promised. Hope is found. There is that path. There is that way that we call discipleship. Now, we use that term around here as if everyone understands it. And yet, we know, we know very well that, uh, you know, some of you will be visiting with us today and say, what's that, what, what do they mean by discipleship? And then there's some of you who have been around a long time that have a vague idea But you're not real sure either, but because you've been around a long time, you don't want to ask anybody. And so we want to make sure that when we talk about that being what we do here, make disciples, that we have a right concept of what that is. And so today we're we're going to focus on that for a few minutes before we go to the table And then, of course, tonight we will focus on it as well. As we read this text, this this may be, in a, a short passage, the very best description of discipleship of anywhere I know. And you can find this in parallel passages as well. For today, I chose Matthew 16. And we read this beginning with verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. 
but he turned. Imagine. Imagine the look on Jesus' face. Imagine the feeling in Peter's heart when he turned, verse 23, and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, and here it is, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return? For his life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, already as I uh, read those words, because I've read them so often in my life, but even this week, it's an indictment, an indictment of how far short I know I fall and I suspect others will feel that and sense that as well today. But Lord, we we know that it was not merely meant as an indictment, but as instruction, as calling, as privilege. Lord, will you encourage us today? Will you teach us? Will you... Fill us with your grace and strength, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, by way of context, Peter, right before I started reading, had made this great profession, confession of who Jesus is. Who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's a great confession of faith. And then Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter, son of Jonah. Because you didn't conjure that up in your own mind. You didn't figure that out. It was revealed to you. By my Father. What a wonderful thing. How great at that moment must Peter have felt. God revealed this to me. How amazed would anyone be who were looking on? And then he talks about building his church. How's he going to do that? How is he going to build his church? No, it's not on Peter, but on this, this confession. Not just a statement, but upon the person of Christ. But he's going to use followers. 
right on the heels of that great profession of faith, knowing full well that none of the disciples, including Peter, none of them understood the nature of his Messiahship, Jesus began to instruct them. You see, they thought, oh, this is great. The Messiah's here. He's going to save us from all these temporal troubles we have. He's going to save us from this corrupt political system we are under. He's going to save us from the Roman government. And Jesus knew their hearts. He knew that's what they thought. And so what he's going to do is he's going to teach them, look, what you're thinking in your mind about me and Messiahship, the opposite is true. It's just the opposite of what you're expecting. And so he begins to teach. Verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. If you look at the parallel passage in Mark, it said he uh, spoke plainly about this. Now, if you're anything like me, our tendency is to think about Jesus' suffering And we think specifically about the cross. Now, there's no question that that's the culmination of his suffering. But but we're mistaken if we think that, okay, he lived his life and then he suffered. Because don't forget, he is God. To come here and to live among his creatures is a whole different thing. Some might say, okay, well, maybe his suffering started with his unjust trial or maybe his arrest, maybe when they beat him, that kind of a thing. you got to go further back than that. Go all the way back to when the one who was completely entitled to the throne of heaven came to earth, not as a conquering king, but as a baby. His suffering began in the incarnation. It was, theologically we call it, his humiliation. And that's probably a good term. It was humiliating for the king and creator of the universe to come and walk among the people. To walk among those who would ignore his law, to subject himself to ultimately be killed by many of those who had taken his law and perverted it. His suffering was throughout his life. Verse 22 then, Peter took him aside, began to rebuke him, saying, Uh, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Now, I want to give Peter at least props that it got through to him at this point. He understood what Jesus was saying, but the response 
was not a right one because he refused to accept it. He basically says, okay, well, you know, that's what you think's going to happen. No, that's not going to happen to you. He followed the popular theological and political categories. A suffering Messiah, a suffering servant, in his mind, was impossible to believe. It was unthinkable. The Messiah was a symbol of strength, not weakness. So Peter takes him aside and amazingly rebukes him. He uses the same word that Jesus used in rebuking a demon when he tells the demon to be quiet and come out. You get it? Here's what's happening. Peter is speaking to Jesus like Jesus spoke to the demon. And so Jesus finds it necessary to speak to Peter like he would speak to a demon. Get thee behind me, Satan. Verse 23, turned aside. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, but you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on things of men. Basically says, what you're saying, you know, you just said a good thing a moment ago, now what you're saying is satanic. So Jesus teaches about his cross. Right on the heels of that, he turns and teaches those who would follow him about another cross. Our cross, verse 24. Now, you need to know that a lot of the people that would read in these Gospels would be ones that would face persecution, would be ones that some of them would face uh, trials and some of them would face death because of their faith. Verse 24, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So now he addresses the crowd as well as the disciples. Two requirements for discipleship. Here's where we begin to define it. Two requirements. A denial of self. That's the first thing. Now, when here Jesus is is talking about a denial of self... It's different than what most people think of as self-denial. People think of self-denial. They might think of, a, you know, the, the, the monks, you know, walking around in their robes or, you know, beating themselves or giving up their possessions or uh, eating very simple food or fasting a lot and, and that kind of a thing. That's self-denial. That's not what he's calling the people there, or us, too, at this point. Not that some of those disciplines may not be appropriate at times, but that's not what he's talking about in terms of being a disciple. He must deny himself. It is to cease to make self the object of one's life and actions. God not ourself, 
is in the middle, is, in the, is on the throne. That's what it means. Denying our own wills as being the king of our life and saying, God, it, it's about your will. See, we saw that. We see that at every point when it comes to what Jesus did. We are to follow in his path. And so, instead of our will being the big thing, the main thing, his will. Henry Martin put it this way, Lord, let me have no will of my own. Or consider my true happiness as depending in the smallest degree on anything that can befall me outwardly. In other words, I I don't want to be happy because of things I get, because things I want to acquire, because of my ambitions, but as consisting altogether in the conformity to thy will. See what he's saying? Cleanse me of my will. That doesn't mean you don't want, you don't desire. But your wants change when you you become a follower and when you're a disciple. And you want your wants to be His wants, not your own wants. And that's what takes preeminence when we deny self. And then the second part, taking up one's cross and following Jesus. Now, cross-bearing refers to the way of the cross. You picture, if you will, a man who's already condemned. We know that with, with Jesus, that he was required to carry his cross to his death. He did it for a portion of the way, as far as he could, humanly speaking. And that's, that's the picture here, taking up one's cross. It's a condemned man who has to carry that which condemns him to the place of his death. And Jesus said, look, you want to follow me, That's the path. And then he showed them not too long after that. Now, I will say this. You can avoid that. Now some of you are wanting to take notes. We we can avoid that? You can. Not as a disciple. You can avoid it if you conform yourself to the world. That's how you avoid that path. It is not the path of a disciple, however. The disciple takes up his cross and follows. Verse 25, For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Sometimes Christians are faced with the alternatives of uh, confessing Christ or denying him. Jesus warns here, you can deny me, but 
It's to your own peril. If you should choose that route. And yet, to choose the other route, to follow Him, there is an assurance of salvation, not because of what you've done, but because you are following the one who has done it all on your behalf. You are choosing His path. Now, again, the question of uh, why do that is answered because Jesus did it. Listen to what C.T. Studs said. I had known about Jesus dying for me, but I never understood that if, if He died for me, then I didn't belong to myself. Redemption means buying back so that if I belong to Him, either I had to be a thief and keep what wasn't mine, or else I had to give up everything to God. When I came to see that Jesus had died for me, it didn't seem hard to give up all for Him. And here's the point. It's basically unanswerable logic. If Jesus dies for us and He calls us to take up our cross and follow Him, even if that means dying, there is no answer except yes, Lord, because of what You have done for me when I didn't deserve it. So I, I, want, I want us to answer three questions in your own mind. The first one is, am I the kind of disciple that Jesus calls me to be? Now let me say this. I don't want to give you too much time to answer in your own mind. Because if you quickly in your own mind say, yes, I'm the kind that Jesus calls me to be, then you either don't know yourself or you don't understand discipleship or you're kidding yourself. For any of us to hear this call of Jesus and to, to think we've achieved it is a misunderstanding of the depths of this calling. As I said in my earlier prayer, I feel rebuked when I, when I hear this calling. We all should. And so that leads us to the second question, though. If I'm not that kind of disciple, what can I do to move toward that? Well, I've got great news for you. There's two things. You can begin moving toward that. And the first is in a few moments as we, as we partake of this table before us. You see, that's one way He strengthens us in our discipleship. To know, love, and serve. How will we be strengthened in it? Well, as we commune with Him, as we deal with, with those hindrances in our life, our own sin as we repent of that, as we get to know Him better, as we feed on Him by faith, He will strengthen us to walk that path that in our human ability we just simply will not choose. And then we as a church, 
have determined that we will do that which we can to equip our people to live the life of discipleship. That's why we have D-Night tonight. That's why we are focusing in our Vision 2017 even more on discipleship and conscientiously saying as we move forward, we have a calling as a church and it's to make disciples. And so we've chosen to reconfigure some things. And so we'll gather tonight and each week. And we're not going to be teaching that which is so profound you can't do it. In fact, what we'll focus on on Sunday night is just the very practical. What does this look like? Everything I've said to you is, is rather theoretical in terms of taking up the cross and following. And we're going to talk about what that looks like on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday all throughout the week. And that's the purpose of why we're gathering. And then the other question I think we need to ask is, do I really think the reward is worth the effort? Do I really think it's worth it? Jesus said in verse 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I never realized until I was studying this that this saying of Jesus is found in the four Gospels more frequently than almost anything else he said. Because that same phrase is used six times in the four Gospels. It must be important. Now, anything Jesus says is essential and important. But when we see him saying something repeatedly, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Losing our life, losing our will for his sake, Is it not repeated so often because it sets forth one of the most fundamental principles of the Christian life? Namely, that life preserved for ourselves is life wasted and lost. But life poured out for him is a life that's found. To be a, a half hearted Christian can only ensure for you a miserable existence. We will live, if we're half-hearted, at best, mediocre lives. But to be all in, to be all in for Him is the surest way of enjoying His best for us. It is worth it. It is worth it. Let's pray. Lord, will you now, as we approach this table, will you feed us and strengthen us as we partake by faith? I don't have the will. I don't imagine there's many in here that have the will 
to take up a cross and know that 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 means suppressing my own will. But you can enable us, me, to do that. And so we plead with you in the name of Christ who did just that for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. beginning of Christ.